So far in this series through the book of Acts, we've talked about how the early church was empowered by the Holy Spirit and given the spiritual gifts necessary to reach the lost in their community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had a passion to share the gospel frequently and with everyone, and they did just about everything together, worshiped together, prayed together, ate together. They saw healing together. They endured persecution together. Last week, we saw that they had a good theology and doctrine to keep them grounded. They were dedicated to prayer. They're always communicating with God, and they focused on discipleship, on making disciples. And today, uh, we're going to be taking a moment here at the end of service to honor the past and look forward towards the future. And as we do that in this service, this dedication service, I want to encourage you and challenge you today. Because this church was built on the promises of God. And it stood the test of time up to this point because of the faithfulness of the people who have come before us. And we need to continue their hard work. We need to continue to leave a legacy that will continue to last for generations. And in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 10, it says, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hand on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He's come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show, them, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went into the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. You pray with me. Heavenly Father, As we take this moment to hear from your word, may our hearts be opened up to what you have to say. Lord, speak through me as you always do and as you always know how. And Lord, as we take these next moments to really be challenged but encouraged to continue to do what you've called us to do as this church has for many years, Lord, I pray that we can also start to leave another legacy for the next generation. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So have you ever had to do something that you did not want to do? Ever had to do something that you didn't want to do? Well, if you have a weak stomach, I probably need to close your ears because I'm going to try and censor as much as I can, but there's a story about our dog, and it's the story of how I found COVID, found out that I had COVID. So back in 2020, some of you have heard this before, uh, back in 2020, it was like late November, early December, and we'd gotten up, uh, Chloe and I got up, and it was still during all the time where I was working from home she was, and doing school from home. She was still working at, or doing school from home, and so we, 
we're always just at home. And we got up together, and I walked into the dog's room and got him up just as the normal routine. And from the hallway, Chloe says, what is that horrible smell? Sounded exactly like that, deep voice and everything. Just, I know, I, I, I do a great Chloe impression. What is that horrible smell? I said, oh, no, I don't smell anything. And then I saw it. As the dog walked out of the crate, I saw it all, everywhere, the mess that he had made. And that's, you know, when I found out that I didn't have, or that I had COVID, because I couldn't smell it. And so <laughs> I was like, well, something's wrong if I can't smell all this that I'm seeing visually with my eyes. And so guess who had to clean it up? Me. Now, I know it makes sense, right? I didn't smell it. She could smell it. And so naturally, if I can't smell it, I have to touch it with my gloved hands, okay? I didn't just go in there barehanded or anything. But, you know, I had the gloves on. I probably even put on a mask as if I could smell, but, you know, just kind of just out of habit, put on a mask and had the whole hazmat suit, and I was ready to go. But I didn't want to do it. I did it because I love my wife, but I also knew that I couldn't smell, and so it was only fair. But I didn't want to do it. And looking back now, I did clean it up. Looking back now, I realized that God did the exact same thing for me, that I was covered in my sin and the dirt and the filth, and it probably had some really bad stench of all the sin that I had committed in my life. Uh, as disgusting as I was, as my body was covered in the filth of my own sin. He washed me clean. He went into the depths of my soul and cleaned every single inch that was stained by my sins, dealing with all the pain, all the suffering that he would endure in the death on the cross, all to make this disgusting, broken jar of clay forgiven and made holy and clean again. And it was all because he loved me. And he does the same for you and me. And he did the same. He, he can do the same for your friends, for your family, and for your neighbors, all because he loves them. He created them. And Saul was one of those people that was covered in filth of their sin. Now, Saul, we often talk about him as Paul because he's accredited for over half of the New Testament, and we like to talk about Paul more than we talk about Saul because we know more about Paul than we do about Saul. But Saul is first mentioned in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 7, when he approved the stoning of Stephen. Stephen gave this wonderful speech uh, and gave it to the Sanhedrin while he was on trial and, and Saul approved of his punishment and, uh, and he would be stoned to death. Now Saul wouldn't stop there. He would continue to, to breathe murdering threats and, and uh, persecuting Christians and, and every Christian that he would encounter, he would either imprison or approve of their killing. Now, this is a different level of disagreeing with theology than what we see today, right? Most of the time when we disagree with another religion, we don't go out and kill them, I hope, right? We don't go out and kill them. We might argue. There might be some words spoken that shouldn't be spoken. There might be some slandering. There might be a lot of, a lot of hate going around, but it never really seems most of the time. Now, I know there's, there's always an exception to everything, but there most of the time, it never gets to the point to where they just go on a killing spree. 
People disagree with our theology and doctrine all the time. Us being followers of Christ, we're supposed to be holy, so we're made holy, which means that we're set apart from the world. And as we're set apart from the world, our values and what we believe is going to be different than the world. And this was the same type of thing when Jesus entered the picture and shook the foundations of all of their theology and doctrine. The ones who were holding to the law of Moses and everything that they've been taught started to disagree. But if you disagreed with Saul and the other Jewish Pharisees, you get imprisoned or you get stoned to death. Why? Well, because in their mind, they believed that the teachings of Jesus was too dangerous to be kept alive. It was more than just a false teaching, which was punishable by death. It was a teaching that was too dangerous to be kept alive. And in their minds, it defied the law of Moses. Now, we know that Jesus fulfilled the law of Moses, but to them, Jesus defied the law of Moses. And it's because salvation for them was so based on works. How well you could follow the law was how holy you were. But now that Jesus has entered the picture, salvation was based on your faith. Now, why was this a problem? Well, it means that the elite Pharisees who followed the law and felt superior to everyone because they knew the law, they always studied it, they were always around it, all these other people, they weren't. And so they could follow the law so, so to the T that they felt superior to everyone else. But now with Jesus' teaching, it's based on faith. Now they're equal with everyone. And so all of this time, all of this work that the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees, all of them, they've, they've built up a platform on which they were to stand above everyone else looking down on them. But what Jesus would come in and do is say, no, it's not based on your works. It's not based on how well you follow the rules. It's based on your faith. And so their pedestal was taken away and it caused great fear for them. If they let these teachings of Jesus run wild, they would lose their sense of power and authority and superiority over everyone else. If they let it run wild, then they would have to be humbled before God. They would have to be taken down to the level that they were actually at instead of on this platform that they had tried to exalt themselves on. And it drove them out of fear, so much fear that it led them to persecute and harm and kill Christians. But Saul was a little bit different. You see, other Pharisees, they, they just waited for the Christians to reveal themselves, right? Because Christians were so on fire for Christ that they were going sharing the gospel with everyone. They didn't care who it was. They're going straight up to Pharisees, telling them about Jesus. And so it didn't take a lot of effort for the Pharisees to find these Christians because they just revealed themselves. And once they revealed themselves within there, they would imprison them. But Saul was different. Saul went to the high priest and he said, hey, I want to go find these people. I'm not waiting for them to re reveal themselves. I'm going to go find them. I'm going to make them pay for the false teachings, for the teachings of Jesus in his mind. And while Saul approved of Stephen's stoning and took part in murdering and persecuting many followers of Christ, while he was going to the high priest with the mission to imprison every single Christian on his way and on the road to Damascus, while he was filthy in his own self-righteousness as a Pharisee, God still loved him. Even though Saul rejected his name, God still loved him. And he has called his followers of Christ to share this amazing love with the world. This amazing love that no matter how sin-filled, 
how much we reject God before we know him, that God still loves us. And that starts with us responding to the call. That's where Ananias steps in. Ananias gets called by God through a vision to go to Saul. And look at this exchange. If you look back at Acts chapter 9, verses 11 through 16, it says, The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and take his, uh, and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. The Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. What happens here is Ananias hears this call. He feels this heart tug to go to this house of Judas on Straight Street and find Saul. And Ananias, being a logical person, is like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, God, you do know what Saul's done to your people, right? You do know that he imprisons and kills people just like me, the followers of the way, the followers of Christ. He, he's he actually here on the authority of the high priest to come and arrest me. And you're telling me to go to his house and say, here I am. Where's the handcuffs? Cuff me up. Stone me to death. I'm here. It sounds like a suicide mission to me, God. But God says, go. Saul is my chosen instrument. What God is saying is, I have a purpose and a plan for Saul. He's going to go and be the one that proclaims my name to the Gentiles and their kings. He's going to also share this message, share my, my story, the gospel with other people in Israel. And God chose Ananias to be the one to restore Saul's sight, to pray over him so that Saul would fulfill his purpose in Christ. Ananias is a lot more like us than what we think. He's the unsung hero of the story of this particular story. But it, I can't help but think about how, what he might have been thinking like, hey, God, you know, here's an idea. Why don't you just send Peter, right? Send John, send some other apostle. They've already encountered the Pharisees. They already know what to expect. They've been beaten by the Pharisees before. They have way more experience than me. They actually followed you while you were here. They're probably well more equipped and ready to go. Maybe just send someone else. But God chose Ananias. Why? Well, we really don't know anything about Ananias other than he was just a disciple. He was just your average, run-of-the-mill, everyday person who followed Jesus. But God chose him because it's all of our call. When, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, it wasn't just to the apostles. It wasn't just to the 11 that were represented there and then would later become 12 again. It was to all Christians to go and to make disciples. And Ananias knew this. And so when God told him to go the second time, he says, I know I have to go to follow Christ wherever he leads me to. And Ananias did what many would be unwilling to do. He went into the house and he entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. Now, there's a little bit of significance here. Because what Ananias is saying is that, Saul, you're my brother. 
right? You're like family to me. But what makes this even difficult is that sometimes we forget to stop and consider that Saul might have actually persecuted, imprisoned, or killed some of his family or friends. And Ananias is going to this guy who likely maybe has imprisoned some of his friends, killed some of his friends, and is saying, I know what you've done in your past, but you're my brother now because God has called me to you. Ananias was obedient, and we need to be obedient too. We need to be the Ananias in someone's life to help restore their sight, to lead them to Christ, and to baptize them. And so for the followers of Christ in the room, I got to ask you, who is your Saul? Who is the Saul in your life? Who's the one that hurts you? Who's the one that's been hostile towards the name of Jesus that God is calling you right now to go and share the gospel with them? Who is your Saul? And what's holding you back from being obedient to God? Whatever it is, I encourage you today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Give it to God today and say, Lord, I know that this has been holding me back and I give this to you today. And maybe you're in a place where you don't really know what's holding you back. You just think every time that I go to share the gospel, it's just something comes over me and I don't know what's holding me back. Then ask God today, to help you overcome that. Say, God, I don't know what's holding me back, but reveal it to me so that I can get rid of it. Make today the day that you ask God to reveal to you what's been holding you back so that you can give it to him and step into obedience with our Lord and Savior. I wanna encourage you today, if you don't have a soul, if someone didn't immediately come to your mind of who is your soul, then go and find one. Go find your soul and be willing and able and available to be to go whenever you're called. Now, something that we're going to be doing here in the next few minutes or so is praying for people in our community, uh, for for them to come here, for us to be used to go and share the gospel with them. Some of the names on those slides are actually from uh, Vacation Bible School, the ones that listed themselves as being unchurched, and so we're going to be praying for them specifically. There's other people that are mentioned on the slide. They might not be a Saul. They might not act like a Saul, but they're not a follower of Christ, and so we need to pursue them and pray for them. And this is, maybe you today, when you're looking at that slide, you're like, that's going to be my Saul. That's going to be the one that I, that I go as far as God will let me to go and share the gospel with them. But it starts with us being the Ananias to the Sauls in our community. And I want you to know something, is that uh, if you've been around the Bible, if you've been in any type of Bible study, you know that Hebrew names have meanings. They have significance. And it was because names were very important. Most of the time, you would name your child after how you desired for them to act. Now, whether or not that lived out uh, was up to them, but there, there's always this significance with the name. You know what Saul means in the Bible? asked for, or as another commentary put it, desired. God desired Saul. He desired people like you and me. He asked for us to follow him, not because he needed us, because he desired us. The Saul in your life is desired by God. Whether you desire them or not, God desires them. And honestly, I don't think that's the best part. 
that every single Saul in our community, every single unbeliever in our community, every single one who doesn't follow Christ in our community is desired by God. I think the best part is that Ananias. You know what Ananias means? God is merciful. So even though Saul was persecuting followers of Christ, slandering the name of Jesus, killing people who followed him, God still desired him and called on Ananias to show that Saul to show Saul that God is still merciful. God is still full of mercy and he wants to do the same with you. You were once a Saul. Whether you believed it or not, before you were baptized, before you came to know Christ, you rejected God through your sinful ways. You slandered his name. But now that you've been born again, now that you've been saved by grace, God wants to use you to show the other Saul's in our community that God is still merciful. And when you're obedient to God, you'll see something like scales fall from their eyes. You'll see something like scales fall from their life as they start pursuing Christ. And that's where I want to close today. Well, I was with family this past week. We were in the, in the hospital room, and, or not the room, the, the waiting room. And Chloe's uncle, Donnie, who's the associate pastor at her home church, uh, I, I was working on my sermon because I didn't know how long we were going to be there. I didn't know how long we were going to have to wait. And so I was on my laptop working on my sermon, and he came up to me, and he said, what are you preaching on this Sunday? So I told him, I said, well, we're going through the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 9. And I said, it's when uh, Saul on the road to Damascus. And he said, well, what fell from Saul's eyes? I said, well, it was scales. And he said, no, something like scales. I was like, okay, way to be technical about it. I mean, (laughs) and he said that he was telling me a story about how he and his college professor, um, he, he got docked points because he put scales instead of something like scales, and he's never forgot it since. And I can relate to that because Dr. Loud did that to me too. Uh, not with this particular passage, but with other things. And I've never forgotten who Anna is in the Bible because of it. But I mean, he was telling me that. And as we were waiting and waiting for hours and hours, um, he kept bringing it up. He kept saying something like scales. He's like, you got to remember, something like scales. And her, or Chloe's dad was like, you're going to mess him up. You're going you're to make him stress on it or something. He's going to think it's going to, he's going to say scales and then say, oh no, it's something like scales. But he kept saying it over and over and over and I couldn't help but dwell on it. I was like, something like scales, something like scales. So I looked at the Greek. I looked at all the like original language. I looked at different manuscripts. I was trying to figure out like what the significance of it was. And when I started digging I started thinking, well, something like scales does not mean scales. I was like, well, what animals have scales? Well, I know fish have scales, but that's scales, not something like scales. It's like, but reptiles, snakes, have scale-like skin. So that's something like scales. So I started doing some digging. As you know, snakes will shed their skins, their scaly skins. You know why they do that? One of the reasons is because as they're growing from, I'm going to just say childhood to adulthood, because I don't know how else to explain it, but as they're growing, their skin doesn't grow with them. And so they have a new skin that forms underneath that will fill as they continue to grow. And as they start to outgrow their old skin, they turn a bluish color. And that's when they start to, to shed their skin. 
And so this new skin is forming as they're growing so that they can continue to grow. So it doesn't inhibit their growth. The second reason is that once they're an adult, full-grown snake, they still will shed their skin. And so I was like, well, they're not really growing, so why do they need to? Well, it removes harmful parasites and bacteria that's on their skin that could otherwise blind them or hurt them or kill them. And right before they shed their skin, they turn this bluish color and their eyes cloud over and they are temporarily blind. And during this time, they can't see. And so just like you and I and Saul, we're blinded by our sinful ways. We're covered in our sin and our sin is seeking to harm us and destroy us. But God sends an Ananias to us to share about Christ with us, to introduce us to the healer. And when Ananias was with Paul, he watched as something like scales fell from his eyes, fell from Saul's life. How God was literally taking the old away and making something new. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And I love this image of how when, when God met Saul on the road to Damascus, he started creating something new in him, something so new that the old was never going to last anymore. But what did God do? God sent Ananias to be the rock that the snake would come and, and shed his skin on. You see, when we, when we talk about how we are co-workers or co-laborers with Christ, we can't make something new inside of someone, but we can be used by God to shed their skin, to help them walk through life, to help them take off the old, their old sinful ways and walk into something new. And you know what snakes do with their old, worn-out skins? They leave them behind. They don't go back to them. They're no longer confined by the bounds of their previous skins, but now, by the grace of God, they're given room to grow. Listen, if you aren't a follower of Christ and you're going back to your old skin and your old life and everything, and you're, maybe you're a follower, but you've been going back to your old ways and you're trying to get back to where you were before Christ, leave it behind. There's a new life that's waiting to grow and to flourish with Christ. And make the most of it. Make most of the room to grow. Accept Christ today and see something like scales fall off of your life. See your past sin fall away and be forgiven. Sin no longer has captivity. You are free because you are desired by God. And when you're free, then you can show that same mercy that God gave you and take part in witnessing something like scales falling off of your friends, falling off of your family, falling off of your neighbors because you were willing to be the Ananias to the Saul in your life. It doesn't matter what they've done in their past, God still loves them. It doesn't matter what, how much you believe that they'll never accept Christ, God still desires them. It doesn't matter how much they've hurt you, how much they've hurt people that, that you love. It doesn't matter how cruel or mean they may be. God is still merciful. And for generations, this church has believed in being the Ananias to the Saul's in the community. And we need to continue to do that for our community here in 2023, to pray for the Saul's, 
to invest and be willing to go to the souls and share with them. And church, I can't wait for you to see, but for me to see something like scales fall off of this community. As God is creating something new right now, right here and right now, we might not be able to see it yet, but he's creating something new. And as we go and we be the Ananias to our community, what's gonna happen is we're gonna see something like scales fall off of people as they begin to see what God sees, as they put away their old past through and they step into a new life with Christ and we have the honor of being a part of it. But as I've mentioned just about every single sermon, you have to be available. You have to be willing. Are you willing to be sent? Are you willing to be available for God so that when he calls you, you'll be ready to go and make disciples?